0: chapter seven part two of travels in new zealand volume one by ernest dieffenbach this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by gail timmerman vaughan chapter seven part two the natives could not understand what induced me to ascend mount egmont they tried much to dissuade me from the attempt by saying that the mountain was tapu that there were narara crocodiles on it which would undoubtedly eat me the mysterious bird moa of which I shall say more hereafter, was also said to exist there. But I answered that I was not afraid of these creatures of their lively imagination, and that if they wanted large payment for their land, I must first go and look at it, that it was possible, though not very probable, that the monikura, money gold, was found on the mountain, and that if, through their refusing to provide me a guide, I was the first to reach the summit, I would make the mountain tapu for myself, according to their own law, an old Tohunga, or priest, was therefore persuaded to show me the way as far as he knew it, and with him, and an American man of color, I started on the 3rd of December. Tanutu na Waikato, as the worthy priest was called, was particularly qualified for the office of guide on this expedition. In the wars between the Nati Awa and Waikato, the latter had carried away his two wives into slavery. He himself escaped to the mountain, where they were unable to find him there he lives by himself as all his kindred are gone and cultivates small patches in the impenetrable forest which supply him with food the waikato often chased him but he was always fortunate enough to escape the old man was renowned for his skill in the arts and the mystic lore of a priest of his nation and had lately become a zealous missionary and although he almost invariably kept his pukapuka hymn and prayer-books upside down when he pretended to sing the psalms or read the service. Yet, what he sung and said pretty nearly corresponded with the text, as he knew the books by heart. A mat of his own manufacture, as he had no female to work it for him, was his only dress, a hatchet his only weapon. He did not take much provision with us, as the party in Namoto had little to spare, and as we had no means of carrying it. I trusted to my gun and to the stores of Tanutu in the bush. Our road led us along the beach to the northward. We crossed the Huatoki and Inui creeks and then turned into the interior over the downs and hillocks of the coast, which were covered with fern and flax, overshadowed here and there by a picturesque tea, Dracaena australis. About two miles from the coast we came to a low, shrubby forest, where the soil consisted mostly of a very dark vegetable mould. Tanutu had here cleared a place in the middle of the bush where he had formed a clean and well-weeded garden, planted with potatoes, taro, onions, watermelons, and pumpkins. Not far from this point, we crossed the river Waiwakao, a rapid but not very deep stream, with a broad and pebbly bed, all the pebbles consisting of hard and blue trap rock. About a mile farther, we passed another deep creek, the Mangarake, a tributary of the Waiwakao, where my guide had another potato field. The forest consisted generally of tawai. Here and there might be seen a majestic rimu pine, or rata, bearing crimson flowers. There were many arborescent ferns, and in the deepest shade grew the nical palm, areca sapida. Sometimes we came to an open spot, several square miles in extent, probably cleared by natives, but now grown over with the highest formium tenax I ever saw. The leaves in many instances were twelve, and the flower stalks twenty feet long. Their flowers contain a kind of sweet liquid in considerable quantities, the extraction of which forms a favorite occupation among the New Zealand children. The cryptogamous plants, ferns, younger manmas, and mosses bear in New Zealand rather an undue proportion to the phanerogamous, a circumstance which is unfavorable to the rearing of bees. I am not aware that there is any native bee in New Zealand, but in certain seasons the European bee would find a great quantity of honey and wax in the formium Tenax bees had been introduced into new zealand from new south wales my excellent friend the rev richard taylor at waimati had a hive and they were thriving remarkably well but in that neighbourhood many european plants had been introduced the country began now to rise a little but the elevation was so slight as to be scarcely perceptible everywhere vegetation appeared most vigorous and the primeval forest was often almost impenetrable on account of thick creepers and the thorns Rubus, of which several species are found and which tore our hands and faces severely we scarcely ever obtained a view of the sun and the shade of the trees produced a delightful coolness although the thermometer in open places rose to ninety degrees and at six in the evening on a hill it stood at eighty degrees we did not see many birds and i need scarcely repeat that the most perfect silence reigned through the forest although we walked on a track it was only visible to the eyes of tanutu and it was not until after much practice that i could distinguish in the turning or pressure of a leaf indications that the path had ever been trod by mortal feet my guide went patiently forward carrying a heavy load for me without a murmur although a priest and a person of consequence among his own people we soon came to another potato field of tanutu where he had a house he here entered the forest and quickly returned with some fern root and some dried shark which he had concealed and which greatly increased our scanty stock of provisions. In consequence of the insecurity of their persons and property, it is very usual with the Taranaki natives to have plantations of this sort in the forest, which are often known to the proprietor alone, and to which he can fall back in times of need. Frequently Tanutu would on a sudden make me stop on the way, and entering the forest would return either with a dried fish or with some oil, contained in a dilated joint of kelp with which he would grease his dark and glossy hair. Sometimes he brought a handful of leeks, which were always welcome. At sunset we arrived at the cleared summit of a hill, where we found several houses for provisions, which are always built on posts, to guard against the rats, and also two other houses. A thick forest surrounded this place on all sides. The plantations of potatoes, all belonging to Tanutu, and planted with his own hands, were in tolerably good order there was no want of provisions and pigeons potatoes leeks taro cabbage turnips and the young shoots of soncus oleraceus were all at our command before it was quite dark flights of the austral nestor passed over our encampment shrieking in a dismal manner and alighted for a moment on one of the dead trees at the skirt of the forest to watch with a stupid curiosity what was going on below but they soon became quiet with the rest of the inhabitants of the forest in the twilight there was also a small bat flying about, but I did not succeed in shooting one. During the day, a sandfly, namu, a tipula, is very troublesome in New Zealand, especially near the seashore, and, diminutive as they are, they are perhaps the most bloodthirsty animals that exist, attacking all the exposed parts of the body. With the last rays of the sun they all disappear, but are immediately replaced by the mosquitoes, which, however are numerous only in particular spots, such as the cleared places of the forest. We had taken our abode in an old house, where the rats ran over us all night, and two species of smaller animals, not to be named to ears polite, were by no means scarce. An old native house is a hotbed for all this vermin, and after this night's experience I always preferred sleeping in the open air or under my own tent, which I found by far the most comfortable." before sunrise on the 4th of December, the thermometer stood at 44 degrees. We took an east-southeast direction, and, after descending the hill, we had to pass a large creek flowing to the eastward. Our road lay over gently undulating hills, which were covered with a dense forest. The cabbage palms were the highest I ever saw. We passed several other streams, and at noon halted at another plantation belonging to our guide he rested here during the day to arrange our provisions for the continuance of the journey this field was situated at the side of a river which rolled over a pebbly and rocky bed and was canopied by the trees on its banks from the high tawai trees Lyospermum a racemosum a graceful moss hung down in long festoons this creek was the mangorake which we had passed the day before the temperature here at noon was ninety-one degrees in the sun and seventy-two degrees in the shade and i found the heat very oppressive i could not prevail upon tanutu to start the next morning as this was his last plantation the sky was overcast and he said that the weather would be bad for several days we had some dried shark and potatoes with maize but not sufficient to last us many days birds were everywhere scarce and too small to be worth powder and shot one bird that i found here is of a new species it is called aihi and belongs to the class of honey eaters. Tyletus sineta dub end of note. Another bird, the Tairawaki, jectaris rufisator less, is very common. It is as large as a blackbird, of a jet black plumage, with red brown coverlets of the wings and tail. It has two small orange colored appendages at the base of the beak. This bird is seen on the lower branches of trees, is very lively, and has a loud penetrating note. It always screams when anything attracts its attention huia huia tirawak tirawak it feeds principally on fleshy berries but also on coleopterous insects pouring rain lasted during this and the following day on the afternoon of the seventh the weather having somewhat cleared up we started but had not proceeded far before the rain again compelled us to halt it must be observed that travelling through the bush in new zealand is rather a scrambling affair and with a load it is very fatiguing and cannot be kept up for a long time. Fifteen miles I considered a very good day's work, even in the open parts of the island. We took up our quarters under the shelter of a rata tree, Metrosiderus robusta, several species of the kind to which this enormous tree belongs were common, but the Bucatea was the most frequent. I was roused in the night by the palm singing of old Tanutu, who could not sleep, and was probably afraid that Atua was determined to oppose our ascending the sacred mountain by means of the bad weather which had now set in. On the 8th we several times crossed the Mangaraki. Its banks are steep, and from one of them Tanutu dug out a titi. This bird, a procellaria, or mutton bird, as it is commonly called, has many peculiarities. In the month of December it comes from the sea to the mountains inland, especially to the four hills of Mount Egmont. Here the female, which is, at that time, very fat, but afterwards becomes thin and emaciated, lays one egg, which is remarkably large for the size of the bird. Instead of building a nest, she deposits and covers over her egg in a deep channel under the roots of trees, or at the sides of a cliff, and never leaves the place until the egg is hatched. The natives believe that during this period the female takes no food, and have accordingly named it, quote, the bird of one feeding, end quote manu wanga Tai. on the ninth we travelled for some time on the right bank of the waiwakaio river which is the largest of those that take their rise on the northern side of mount egmont although of very unequal depth it is a true mountain stream it rolls over a broad bed of boulders and pebbles and often rises suddenly when the snow melts or when the rain has been heavy its banks were moderately elevated on their top the land was flat and the whole was covered with forest of the wildest and most primeval aspect. We passed numerous tributaries of this river, some of which were considerable depth owing to the late rains, which had also formed stagnant pools between the roots of the old trees. At one place, Tanutu conducted us into the bed of the river, whence we had the satisfaction for the first time since we had entered the forest of seeing Mount Egmont, which rose to the southwest, covered with snow, but its summit hid in a cloud the dense forest on both sides of the river formed as it were a framework to the picture my guide suddenly stopped at the bank near this point and clearing away with his hatchet a few of the young tawai trees chanted some hymns and begged of me to read a chapter from st paul's epistle to the romans on my asking the reason of this sudden procedure he told me that he had many years ago going with a party to fetch kokowai red ochre from the foot of the mountain they had been surprised at this spot by a party of Waikato, and that in the struggle which ensued, his mother had been killed. He had never, he said, visited that spot without paying a tribute to her memory. We stopped for the night on a low island in the Waikato called Waiwiti, grown over with Kahikatoa leptospermum, intermixed with a junceous plant, the Hamillenia veratroides of Achilles Richards, Astelia banksii, the seeds of which form the food of the kiwi and weka. Aptrix australis, and Rallus australis. The island bore evident marks of being frequently overflowed, as large stems of drifted trees were collected on it. The river Waiwakayo is extremely well adapted for the application of water power to manufactories and mills, and the whole district of Taranaki, as far as I have seen yet, rivals any in the world in fertility, beauty, and fitness for becoming the dwelling place of civilized European communities. Our provisions grew very scanty, and when on the following day, the sky was again overcast, and the rain poured down in torrents, I almost gave up the hope of ever reaching the summit of Mount Egmont, especially as Tanutu now frequently lost all trace of the right direction. We proceeded, however, along the left bank of the river, wet to the skin. The trees over which we had to clamber were extremely slippery, and although they preserved their outward shape, we often sunk knee-deep into their soft and decayed substance. To appease our hunger, we had nothing but the young shoots of a fern or the mucous, undeveloped leaves of the Cyathea medullaris. These, with the heart of the cabbage palm, and in open spots the roots of the terrace esculenta, are, generally speaking, the only eatables that can be obtained in a New Zealand forest. The rain had made my gun useless, a matter indeed of less consequence, as there was no game, and very few of the smaller birds the confidence shown by these birds proves that they are not often disturbed by the approach of man the boldest was a flycatcher, catcher merolongipes less of an ashy colour which hopped continually over the rotten trees searching for insects it builds its nest on the lowest branches of small trees where they join the stem and constructs it neatly of moss lining it inside with the soft and villous cover of the young undeveloped leaves of the Scythium medullaris the rain continued during the tenth and eleventh, and all our provisions were gone. We could procure no dry wood to make a fire. We had no tent with us, and got but little shelter from the trees during these nights. The forest assumed a beautiful appearance. The fallen trees and almost the whole surface of the ground sparkled in a thousand places with the phosphorescence of the decayed matter. We seemed to have entered the illuminated domain of fairyland. When the weather cleared up, we determined to return abandoning for the present the attempt to reach the summit of the mountain taking a different track from that by which we had come we again stood on the seashore on the evening of the fifteenth of december end of part two of chapter seven